Hello. Today's conversation is with cellist, guitarist, and singer-songwriter around the Austin area, Dan Rayton. Dan and I met uh, pretty early after I moved to Austin because he booked me to do a songwriter series at Friends and Allies Brewing Company. And uh, Dan also runs the open mic every Tuesday night at Friends and Allies Brewing Company. So if you want to go check out some of his music or get a chance to play or hear some cool comedians from around the Austin area, go out on a Tuesday to Friends and Allies and hang out with them. They, uh, they have a good time. And uh, also, if you want to hear Dan's music, he plays around town all the time. He plays sets everywhere around the Austin area, sometimes outside of the Austin area. So there's a lot of chances to see him. Go check him out. In our conversation, we get into Dan's history as a musician, how he became the cellist that he is today, starting with some formal training and then moving to sort of a self-taught system and just playing all the time, playing with other people and developing his unique voice as a musician. We get into some of his ideas about artistry and cover bands and all sorts of things like that. But before we get to that... Please remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to my channels. I operate as an artist on a value-for-value value model, which means that I provide content out to the world through podcasts, through music, through things like that. And I ask that if you derive value from it, if you listen, if you like it, that you respond in kind by providing value back to me. There's different ways of doing that. You can uh, subscribe to my Patreon with a link below. There's various levels of monthly subscriptions with all their different perks and things like that. You can donate to my Venmo with a QR code there. You can donate Bitcoin with a QR code there. Or you can just comment. You can, you can interact and come out to a show. A couple shows that I have coming up this Thursday. This would be June 9th. I am playing with Mark Dennison, the Cajon player, at Cherrywood Coffeehouse in Austin, Texas. We'll be playing starting at 8 o'clock. And then on July 3rd, I'm playing with Sap and Claw Elixir, my duo, in Los Angeles, we are playing at Universal Bar and Grill in North Hollywood. So come on out to that one. That's going to be a fun time. Come have a drink with us. Just just hang out. It'll be a, a fun Sunday evening before July 4th. And uh, then on August 1st, we are playing at uh, 4th Street Vine in Long Beach, California. And on August 4th, we are playing at The Mint in Hollywood, California. And also, we just put out our first EP Sap and Claw Elixir. It's called First Tap. It's available on all the streaming platforms and everything. There's a link below. We put a lot of work into it. We enjoyed making it, so I hope you all enjoy listening to it. All right, now to the show. Welcome to Music in Mind. Music in Mind. Hello, everybody. <laughs> hello, hello. This is Dan Raiden. He is a cellist and guitarist. Uh, gigs all over Austin and, and the Austin area. Plays super, super busy all the time. And uh, also hosts an awesome open mic every Tuesday night at Friends and Allies Brewing in Austin, Texas. It's great. But uh, cheers. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, having thanks for coming on the podcast. We're drinking the love street blonde which i learned about found when i came to austin and it's great <laughs> it's so it used to be a craft beer they're uh carbox out in houston right that's right um, yeah, yeah i think rumor has it they got they sold out to i want to say Anne has a bush so they're uh -oh. they're one of the big guys now which is why <laughs> we have uh love street everywhere which yeah. is cool. i like their beers i like hopadillo a lot too hopadillo's great although i <laughs> i was once corrected at uh at a bar and i ordered a hopadillo and uh, the lady said, do you mean Hapadillo? And then I was like, isn't it an armadillo? It actually, yeah, right? <laughs> so it's an armadillo. Yeah. I, I suppose it probably is in Spanish, right? I don't know, man. I, I, I didn't do so well in Spanish after uh, 10th grade. Okay. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, it's it's a good beer. Yeah, El Macchiato. <laughs> it's like what seven percent beer. Yeah, yeah, that, that one's strong. So we were just talking a little bit before about musicians categorizing themselves. So I was asking, yeah. you're a cellist, you're a guitarist, you're a singer. Are you a songwriter? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a and, and you pointed out it's, it's sort of a tricky thing, and all musicians get a little testy about the the categorization thing. Dude, it's, it's funny, like when people say, uh, "Hey, what kind of music do you make? What's your genre?" Mm-hmm. Nobody ever wants to be put in a box. People yeah. say, "Oh, I play rock," but like the, there's a the phrase on the uh, Austin Facebook groups for for musicians is indie jazz rock bullshit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like people just <laughs> yeah. can't categorize themselves, and and they uh, obviously as a songwriter, you don't want to ever like frame yourself too hard because yeah. you feel like you're alienating people or it's not like truly yeah. representative of everything you yeah, can yeah. do. But yeah, to your point, if, if people ask what I do, like I say, I'm a cellist. That's, that's what I do. Interesting. Okay. So you just say cellist. Yep. I see. Uh, Although I produce, you know, I sing, play with other people, whatever. Um, but I'm a, I'm a cellist. Yeah. I'm I not, feel like, like I've seen you play guitar more than I've seen you play cello. You probably have, town, which, which is, is interesting. Again, yeah. like doing what the market dictates. Like yes. that's where I'm getting gigs as a singer songwriter. I'm a way better cellist than I am a guitarist, for no question. Right. You know? Interesting. But uh, most most of my gigs, I say 60% of my gigs now are singing and playing guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of like the thing around Austin, right? It is. And but those, you do the same thing. Those with, three, four-hour gigs, and then just like, you, gotta, you rack them up. Dude, you got to fill it somehow. Four-hour gigs are just like kind of pushing the limit. Four is bad, man. Four is no good. Because your voice is shot the next day. <sighs> um, I'm doing a lot of back-to-back three-hour gigs. Uh-huh. Like, on the same day, I'll go to like Friends and Allies, and then go play a... I'm usually playing the sushi bar out in Lakeway on oh, Saturday cool. nights now. Um, so, like, most Saturdays, it's like six hours there, and then sometime I have a brunch gig before that. Mm-hmm. So it just like gets out of hand, but you have to figure out how to budget your time and, yes. and figure out how to save your voice. So yeah. then you mix up with the cello a little bit and a little bit of guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do the same thing with the banjo and, and yeah, exactly. You know, you bring two instruments everywhere you go. Yep, so. yep, yep, yep. The uh, it's interesting because uh, so I, I, I've I didn't I wasn't used to playing such long gigs until I moved to Austin, and then I got a few, and I thought it would get easier. But then every person you play with has different songs, and it's just like. There's a lot of songs. There's it's crazy. so many songs. There's way too many songs. And like, how do you prepare for that? Um, you yeah. know, you're sometimes, so OnSong, I don't yep. know if you use that app. No. It's an iPad app called OnSong. Okay. It's changed the way I gay because basically I can make a set list, change the key, whatever, capo it. Oh, nice. And nice. then I can send it to you ahead of time. So I can Great. say like, hey, Anthony, we're going to have, uh, you know, our gig next Sunday. Here's the set list. Uh, let me know if you have any questions or you want to change the key or something. Yeah. And I can just re-update the PDF, send it right back out to you. Wow, that sounds amazing. It's great. That sounds <laughs> like way less work than what I've been doing. It is game changing. I'll I'll tell you about it when we can go offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sounds great. Uh, it's it's great though, man. Um, so tell me about the difference between like the LA scene where you were pretty uh-huh. involved in, yeah. versus coming to Austin because like I hear the stories of musicians all the time in Austin saying there's not an industry presence. Yep. Uh, there's no like real core of like a singer songwriter circuit like Nashville has yep, yep, um, yep. and then just labels in general are just not here and and obviously being in 2022 yep. we don't need a label that's right that's just not a, a thing anymore um but the publicity side of it I think is what keeps people from leaving you know so right. Tamara Mack like just yep. just left Austin she was yeah. you know a big fish in a small right, pond right right and she just went to LA because of that yes um Kaleo started mm-hmm. in Austin and then they moved. I want to say they went to Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then they broke huge. Uh huh. So, yeah, yeah. um, what's, I guess, <laughs> what is keeping people yeah. here in Austin? Why did you choose I, to come here? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, so you've been here longer than I have, so correct me if I'm wrong. I kind of see Austin as a workout city in the way that LA and New York are workout cities for comics. And meaning that's where you hone your chops. Is that? Yeah. So like okay. I should have been in Austin when I was 19. Gotcha. Because you can play every night here easily. Yep. And you can play mul like multiple times a day. You can rack up three hour gigs and just get performance reps in. Mm -hmm. So you become just like an absolute pro performer and you get, you're playing your music live so much that you can get to that spot like professional touring musicians where they're they're not really messing up or if they are you're not noticing it it's mm -hmm. it's that it's that sort of level where like if you go and see tool for instance live they're so good right and they're definitely not going to mess up and if yeah. if they do like there's there's no danger they're just playing their tunes easy yep. even though they're hard tunes that kind of a thing yep. and so i see austin as a place that if you utilize it right allows you to get there in a way that LA doesn't because LA is expecting a certain level of success already. Does that mean you're not going to get booked for those gigs? Like, uh, uh, so, so keeping you, obviously LA has got a bajillion bars and venues or whatever. It else. does. So, so LA, LA has a problem, um, that Austin has a very, um, established open mic and jam scene as a beginning stepping stone. And then they seem to also have a very established sort of, low-level, easy-to-get gigs at bars and restaurants and venues all over the city. Yep. And, then it, and then it goes up from there. Yep. And, and then you can get headlining gigs at, like, the, the cool bars. And then you, you could go up to, like, theaters. You know, you could do Antones. You could do the Paramount if you're really killing it. That'd be sick. ACL Someday. or something <laughs> like that. Right, yeah. right, Yeah, yeah. Stubbs. Of course. Those, those, big, those big ones. So it's got all those stepping stones. L.A. doesn't have as established uh, an open mic scene. A lot of the open mics in L.A. you even have to pay to play. You have to pay to, to play, play an, an open, open mic. mic. How many songs do you get? Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't right. done it. First but off, like, as a concept, that's bullshit. But yeah. I know like, the pay to play. So pay to play is the game in L.A. unless you're bringing in real money. Wow. See, so like other parts that, of the company, like, country, like you're selling tickets like pay to play, not like a sign up and there's a, there's a fee for the for yeah the, right? it could it could be either way so so there's tons of uh really predatory bookers in la who contact musicians who have no following and bring no value yet and they're like okay like i'm gonna book you on this show at the whiskey like and then young musicians are like oh, i get to play at the whiskey and they're like yeah that's killer yeah and they're <laughs> like okay uh we just need you to sell 60 tickets and you're on the hook for all the the money and you say you can't, and they're like, okay, well, how can you do 45? And it's like, no, you, I can't do anything. Like, yeah. they shouldn't be playing at that venue if that's what that venue needs. It's like predatory. That's, that's the draw, right. Exactly. They should be playing, they should be doing three-hour sets at a restaurant, like learning stagecraft, learning how to have presence as a musician. Yeah. Yep. And it's then huge. and then then take a leap and get a try a bar gig and try a bunch of bar gigs and try a bar gig way out in the sticks and like all these things. Yeah, that's that's interesting you say that, man. Um, what so, do you think? I, I think you're spot on. Like, uh, so at what point do you like? <laughs> what's your gut tell you at which point you're like ready to take that step into again? If you, your mm -hmm. goal is to be a, a national act, a touring musician, whatever, at what point do you say like, hey, I'm, I'm ready for the for the limelight? Yeah, I mean, I I think it I think it's very difficult. So I tend to look at comedians uh, as a as a, a career model for a performer because it's so prepared down, right? They're just talking mm -hmm. 
And, and one thing I notice is that comedians say that when comedians who have made something of a career say when they need to make money, they go on the road. And so I feel like that for me, that's a goal is I want to be able to be like, oh, I need money. I'm going on the road to tour. Exactly. But I don't have that option now. If I go on the road now, I'm losing a lot of money. Yeah. Well, especially gas prices. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, exactly. But I think that's where a lot of us are. And we're, yeah. so we're shooting for that. And that's what I'm saying about L Austin being a workout city. And then mm -hmm. what you're saying about then the stepping stone, maybe go to Nashville, maybe then go to LA, maybe then go to New York or something like that. Although I think New York is also a workout city in its own way. It can be for sure. Yeah. There's so much of a DIY culture in yeah. in New York also. But yeah. so what about you? You came from from Pittsburgh, right? Yep. And came then you came came to Austin. So what would you say the difference is in terms of working as a musician there versus here? So uh, when I was in in Pittsburgh, it was definitely like I was still very green. I think it mm -hmm. is the the best way to put it. Like I was, you know, still in college, like playing uh, with with my my folk band at the time. Right. Um, and that was, those of the majority of my gigs and like, we were again, working our asses off. We were playing like three, four times a week. Okay. Um, great. And around school schedules and, uh, family stuff and athletics, whatever, whatever else you were involved in. Right. Uh -huh. We still like prioritized the band to a point. Um, and we just, you know, it was really cool. Like seeing them, how far they've come just being in Pittsburgh and they've toured uh -huh. and they've booked their own tours nationally for, Oh cool. Are they still going? They're still going. Oh yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. They got a whole new cast of characters, which is really cool. But the, the main uh, front man is, is still doing his thing and he's, okay. he's carrying it on. Um, but just like, see how far like he's come. Uh, I'm really, I'm proud of him, you know? Uh -huh. Um, but it, it also shows like, it's really hard. You, they had to leave town to be able to get those reps. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, again, like you can find places to play, but in Austin, so much easier. Right. Um, and really that's what took me to Austin was like, I was really between LA, Nashville, and Austin. Mm -hmm. I was going yeah. to move to one of those cities. Yep. And uh, basically, the reason I ended up in Austin was because uh, Oracle paid for me to move here. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I still have a, a tech job. Um, but great. That was uh, one of the things that uh, was kind of the tipping point bringing me uh -huh. to Austin. Um, and I didn't know shit about Austin before I came here. I'd, yeah. I'd never same. been to Texas. I, you same, know, like, same here. You just took a, took yep. a leap of faith not? and yeah. tried it. That's, that's cool, man. Um, do you feel like it was the right decision? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Um, I was actually, this is so funny. I was thinking about this on the, in the car on the way over here. <laughs> if I had ended up in Nashville. So, uh, -huh. uh, right when I was graduating, I went down to Nashville for a bachelor party and I'd never been in Nashville either. Uh -huh. I was like, had a great time and we were, you know, at, at, at Tootsie's on, on Broadway and, uh, we're just, everyone's wasting and <laughs> the, the groom, who's one of my good friends, uh, goes up to this violin player on stage mm -hmm. and he's like, yo, he plays cello. Like get him up on stage with you. I'm like, do you see a fucking cello here? Like, what do you, what do you think we're going to, we're going to do here? So she's like, actually like I, I need a cellist from my band. Can we chat? And we exchange numbers. And I ended up driving back to Nashville Whoa. the week after that, seven days yeah. later and went and auditioned with her band. And mm -hmm. they were like, Hey, like basically they were aiming for a publishing kind of like TV deal. Uh -huh. They knew people at national geographic. They knew people at, uh, discovery channel and basically they were making kind of like jazz world music for backgrounds for those soundtracks for like shark oh, cool. shit, you know um yeah, yeah. it was a four piece i would have been the fourth it was violin drum bass and uh i would have been cello okay um but they didn't give me the part and i was like nice. guys i don't know if this is the right move for me because i was mm. freaking out about making money right because it's doing loans and right. uh that's one of the things like i just always wondered like what if I'd gone mm -hmm. to Nashville. Yeah. I would have stepped into session life immediately. You yeah. know, it's not even fucked around with a day job. 
Um, but uh, like Austin, man, it's it, it's been the place to, you know, it, it's gotten us to where we are. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. Um, I met a lot of cool people here. Made a lot of friends here. A lot of musicians. Yeah. Uh, a lot of supporters of the arts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like foundations, like uh, yes. Black Fret and Ham yep. and yep. you know Sims Foundation. Um, so I've gotten to do a lot of cool things. Like uh, I don't I don't regret that at all because yeah. it's a much level playing field compared to Nashville. Yes. So. Well, it seems like Texas really supports musicians, Austin specifically, but actually mm-hmm. Texas the 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 state. So the state it's crazy. has there's an actual like I don't know if you know uh, it's the Texas Music Office. Yes. Yep. Right. I do. Okay. So the, it's wild for anybody out there <laughs> uh, listening. There's actually a state funded portion of the government that goes toward helping local yeah. artists. Which is funny considering what you think about Texas, like no taxes, no government, blah blah blah. blah. Right, and that's, yeah. that's as democratic as it gets, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, it, it makes you think. Like, there's so much red dirt, like country, like amazing yep. singer songwriters in these small towns. Yep. Uh, a guy came out to Friends and Islands yesterday. Uh, his name is Andrew Kreitz. Uh-huh. Um, he just moved down to New Braunfels, but he's been playing like small towns in Texas. He's like, look, man, I'm making like fifteen hundred a night. Great. And I was like, that's, that's wild because people are just, he crushes it first off. He's yeah. got an amazing voice. Um, but he plays the songs that people want to hear. And they're so appreciative yeah. of having some kind of music in fucking New Braunfels or San Marcos, wh- wherever mm-hmm. it is, like yeah. a little bit outside the, the main cities. Um, we played a gig, uh, uh, Julie and I played a gig in um, LaGrange uh-huh. on Friday night. Cool. There were maybe like 50 people there, but we still walked away with like a lot of cash from people just that's their that's amazing place you're bringing value they so, had a good time you know? I, I love so. I, I love this idea this is it, it's something i'm curious to know your your opinion on it the the struggle between quote being an artist and then being a musician you're also a technician and i see it as this weird kind of half blue collar half white collar world how so well so like when i was working in la i did pit work for broadway shows which felt very tradesman like I had a trade. Yep. So I wasn't there to be an artist. I was there to provide a service. Yes. And I would say that being a a musician at a bar, it's a little bit of both because you're bringing a vibe. Mm -hmm. And so that artistness helps. Yep. And so, so, you know, some people, a lot of people have hats in Austin, shades, things like that. All that stuff helps. The the whole vibe thing. It's your, yeah. But but you also, like you're saying, play songs that people like, that Mm -hmm. people want to hear. Now you're being a technician. Now you have a trade. I can make people happy with songs that they like to hear versus going like, no, I'm only playing my music and these are my tunes and why doesn't anybody want to listen to my tunes? And it's a, it's a weird balance between the two because you can get stuck in the tradesman thing and never get to be an artist if you want to be an artist. It comes down to focus. Like, yeah. It's so easy to, to get sucked into the cover band world. Um, yeah. man, that's a really good observation. Though. Like, I think about that a lot. Like uh, Having the... Uh, formal training versus like the real world experience right mm-hmm. but especially like in a in a broadway pit kind of setting like it, it's only formal training right that's all there is yeah. right um you know people don't just like hey i think i'm gonna show up to an open mic and like start singing broadway like that's just not usually usually what happens yeah right um oh, i had another thought there I'm blanking on it. <laughs> artist, um, tradesman, that kind of that. that like, what? What about you? Would you consider so? yourself an artist or a tradesman or some combination of the two? I'm an artist at my. Well, I'm kicking your mic here. Sorry. Uh, definitely an artist at the core. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, I obsess over getting really good at craft. Right. 
Um, so that's led me to we're talking sound engineering stuff, like mm-hmm. watching hours of YouTube. Like I want to learn how to produce myself because I wanted full control right. over right. the production process, the recording, the mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not great at mixing still, but like, dude, it's hard. It is, Makes especially sick. you got a lot of elements going on. Layers and, <laughs> I feel like yeah. anybody who says they're not great at mixing has some uh, potential, at least. Yeah. If somebody's like, I'm a great mixer, it's like, you're probably not. <laughs> or maybe they are. And, and, maybe. And that's when they charge a thousand bucks a song. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. That that helps, the the, the, the charging. Yeah. The but, but uh, you know, to, to your point earlier, like, there's, are you pleasing other people or are you pleasing yourself? Uh-huh. Um, and part of that is, like, learning to read the room. If you want to pander and, like, work for tips, like, you have yep. to... You gotta own the room, and you gotta play, give people what they want. Yeah, you know, and make it a fun experience for them because that—that's when they want to come back. So. Yeah. How do you feel about charging extra for certain requests? Charging for like a song request? Yeah, like uh, one that I think uh, Hotel California. Someone's like that costs fifty bucks extra. That's cr- well, you do that at a piano bar. Yeah, that's that's where I think that distinction is. What like, do you think about that move? I mean. I would never say that in a mic. So what I've seen some artists do very successfully yeah. is like they put their Venmo up and say, yeah. if you have a request, they have their phone here on the mm-hmm. stand and they say, if you have a request, Venmo me and we'll see what we can do for you. Yeah. They don't make any promises, nice. but that's smart. Then you see the Venmo come in with a song request yeah. and then they say, Hey, this one goes out to so-and-so and they're getting the tip regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been times like I've had groups of like dipshit bachelorette parties shouting out like one song after another yep, and yep. a single tip comes in you know um so yep, there's yep. there's moments like that but like ultimately uh, the humanitarian in me wants to please other people of course right? of course so uh i typically if i know the song i'll play it regardless and just yep. you know people are appreciative anyway yeah um i sang happy birthday to somebody last week and his girlfriend tipped me 20 bucks there you go and, like i was <laughs> i was not expecting that like again a tip is optional yeah so if you want to sell hotel california that's right. one thing. But then you but better it, play it right. Yes. That's that's the, the thing that I think is. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You can't fuck it up. You can't, if you, especially if you're charging extra for it. You better play it right. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Um, but it's it's such a classic. Like people know if you miss a note, they know. If that's you, the if problem you skip with songs or, like that. Yep. Yep. Because they're singing along. Oh yeah. Yep. Man, they're, was, they they're singing the guitar solo. Yeah, you exactly. better play that there's right no too. For note. No for note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then there's like people that yell "Freebird" and they're like, they "Yo, know you're on minute song. six of the song." And you're like, "All right, I'm over it." <laughs> like people that yell "Freebird" don't realize if somebody actually plays that, you're in for 13 minutes of oh, yeah. life. You're not getting back. <laughs> so, 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 what's your history with with cello with music? Uh, good question. Um, so my mom had the wisdom to start me and my sisters out on on piano when we were. You know, barely uh-huh. reached the keyboard. Um, I think I was five when I took my first piano lesson. Oh, cool. Um, so basically, as soon as I could, I could read and you know, kind of have an understanding of like what music is. My mom was like, "All right, starting lessons." Yeah. Um, took lessons for about six years in total, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got introduced to cello in third grade through our school district because they mm-hmm. offered lessons through the school. That turned into private lessons during the summer, and that right. turned into private lessons throughout the year in addition to school. And then I was playing in orchestras and youth symphonies on fucking Saturdays, and like, nice. um, got to do some some cool stuff. That's great. Yeah, played yeah. A, I played my first wedding when I was thirteen or fourteen. Whoa. Um, and since then I've played three hundred some weddings yeah, in six states, <laughs> and you know, it's been, I'm flying with uh, with this once in a while here. Okay, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. How um, <laughs> I bet that is no fun. So it's not, but it's also, uh, you got to buy a seat for it. I see. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not going to like, you know, you ever hear the United Breaks Guitars song? Yeah, like yep, that story? 
I will never ever like cellos and dogs will not go under under yeah. the uh, yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Um, so I have to buy a seat for it. And then, uh, I actually just got a companion pass for South by South, for South by Southwest, Southwest airlines. Uh-huh. Um, so that if I have a gig out of state, it's easy to do. Cool. That's great. So if you want to go nice toward to the West that. coast, man, we can just <laughs> jump on a plane and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. I, I, I go out there a lot. I didn't know about that Southwest thing. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's great. That's great. So, so you started playing, you started playing a piano when you were young. Did you study music in college or anything like that? Uh, I went to Pitt thinking I was going to be a th- theater major okay and go for stage management and then i ended up changing my major like six times but came out of it with a music minor oh okay so i in classical cello uh they just called it music minor okay um but i I took composition classes all of it was ear training some of my favorite classes were ear training yeah um there's a professor there who i think is retired now john goldsmith who is my favorite teacher he Mm -hmm. just um taught you the the things that i learned in his class i'm applying directly to my cello playing today that's great um, relative pitch is a learnable skill. Yeah, and it's huge. I mean, yeah. it's the superpower. What is Adam Neely? I think he says that it's a it superpower is, it if is. you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you have it well, like if you have it really honed. Yeah, it's like if you can, you know, play a, a C. Like sometimes I walk into a bar, and be like, all right, they're they're playing this uh, half step down from the original recording. Like I just that's that's really good. I can I can tell that sometimes, yeah. right? Um, but like uh, having relative pitch and saying, okay, this goes from the one to the five to yep. the four. Um, you just have that in your fingers at some point. Uh-huh. And I think that's like crossing the line into like, like turning pro. Right? Oh yeah. 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 Do you think in um, numbers? Sometime. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we're getting technical music stuff. So I, yeah, who's, who's your audience here? Like who, who we, <laughs> mostly who we musicians. Mostly okay, musicians. cool. So that's good. We so can, they're going to understand the, the it's okay. Yeah. I also have this other thing that uh, I've, I've heard about make your audience come to you. So don't over explain concepts, just talk what you're talking about and challenge them to find you. All right, like so it. come find us if, yeah, exactly. if you guys have a have a question. I don't know. Right, number is a numbering system. So yeah. I, I I learned recently that in Austin, minor. If you're in a minor key, like E minor, you'd call E one. I do that a lot actually. In yeah. Nashville, it's a six. It's a six. Really? Which is yeah yeah yeah. Which is interesting because where I where I went to school. Um, for undergrad, I studied composition at University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the theory professor there cool. had everything based on six. So you'd sing a major scale, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, da, and you'd sing a minor scale, la, ti, do, re, mi, fa, so, la. That's what we did also. That's I guess that's, that's the great. technically... Right. And so you're relating the major and the minor to each other like that. And so yeah. like I just got these charts. Uh, I had a South by Southwest gig with a band from uh, Nashville that was coming to town, and they sent me the charts, and it was all like... Six two three, and I was like, "What? What kind like, of song what, what is six? What? what? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, it's just mine." <laughs> Got it. Interesting. Um, you, you know, man, it's it just it's communication, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like you've got to be able to say it in a way that somebody else is going to interpret it and understand That's the, the, key. the same. Yep. So it doesn't matter what language you're speaking, it be Spanish, French, German, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. 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 It's well, that's that's where the ear comes in handy because then sure. you don't have to talk as much. For sure. Yeah. And especially in Western music, there's a lot of leading tones. There's uh-huh. a lot of like yep. common blues based progressions mm-hmm. that you can kind of pick up. Like you hear one song, you've heard them all kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the Nashville 100, right? Yeah. Which is, do you know what that is? No, I don't. Know. I heard this phrase recently. <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's the uh, standard like Broadway uh, 100 top requested songs oh, or whatever. Okay. It that is. makes sense. It's yeah. like a standard set list. So like, you have to learn the Nashville mm-hmm. 100 to to sit in as a session player, right? Yeah. Um, 
but uh, it's it, it just matters like if you hear a song and you know it's like a certain region or written in a certain time period, you can probably guess the next chord. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or if you're just going up to a, a lead line, like where the note's going to end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just watching other people for the cutoff. That's the yep. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so, so for you, where what do you see yourself as as wanting to be musically? So we're talking about an artist or a tradesman. You're a cellist. You, you host these open mics. You're very active in the the Austin scene. Do you have a vision for where uh, it goes? I do, man. Um, so ultimately, you don't I, have to give everything away. I just no, it's, <laughs> it's cool because like not everybody you know has the the curiosity to ask something like that. Um, ultimately, I think the things that that will make me happiest is mm-hmm. playing in a serious touring band. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's what I want to do. Like be like the the cellist for the Ava brothers you know like uh-huh. joe kwan is amazing yeah. or the cellist yeah, yeah. for the lumineers kind mm-hmm. of deal um that's what i think is is ultimately gonna be my goal right um but i really would love to model my career on like jack antonoff because he just seems to go do some so many cool fucking things uh so he started off he was the guitarist for fun right okay the band fun yeah yeah um you know some nights yep. and all that yeah yeah um they're great amazing so my college years yeah for real man <laughs> that's that's really when they when they yep. came out um since then he's gone on to do uh just so many different projects so yeah. when that band disbanded um he started bleachers right he's okay. the front, front man for bleachers okay they do amazing work in their own right yeah um he's an incredible front man and just like has this like presence he doesn't have the voice that nate roos does uh-huh. obviously because nate from fun is just unbelievable um but jack does such a good job of making it his own and and just like cultivating like the jersey boy boy kind of thing and um then he's basically taken the success from bleachers and applied that to a bajillion other artists he's produced for uh taylor swift and lana del rey and like Mm -hmm. he's he's done some really other cool stuff same way dan auerbach from black he's has done Mm -hmm. it um he takes his knowledge from his band and gives it to somebody else so do you want your own band I would love to do it. It's a three pronged approach, right? Yeah, yeah. The first is like being with a group of world class musicians. Yep. Mm-hmm. Second is like it would be really cool to have like a, a side project doing my own thing. That's your own, yeah. And then the third is like more of like a mentoring, like kind of like production ear, mm-hmm. be like a yeah. Rick Rubin, maybe a later yeah. stage career. Um, that would that yeah, would be amazing. my dream. Yeah, that's so. I get a chance to like help out other artists yeah. and uh, you know make some really great art also, but yeah. it doesn't have to be your face on it. Of course, there's there's a there's another problem. I feel like as as we get older, uh, I notice it more and more in that the best time to start a band is when you're 16. True. And and learning together because you don't you you you're not worth anything yet. You don't provide any value yet, so mm-hmm. you can help each other. The problem is. When you're when you're my age, or I, I don't actually know how old you are, but anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm 31. Oh, okay, I'm 32. So yeah, we're our not, age. We're not that old, man. That's <laughs> truly no, no, no. We're not that. It's not that we're that old. It's that musicians are already good at our age. Good yeah. musicians are already good, yep. and so they need to be paid. They actually need to be paid. Yep. The tricky part is when you're paying people to play with you, they don't have the same uh, creative investment very often They're not. in your work. It's very true. And so it's it's that difficult balance between if you're trying to start an artistic project that that artist versus tradesman issue again you're trying to start an artistic project that's collaborative you need everybody to have creative investment in the project yeah and very often when you're paying people 
They're there providing the service. It's a hard gun. Exactly. So no matter how good they are, like that's great, but you still don't have the collaborative aspect as much. For sure, man. Um, you see like a, I guess a shrinking pool of like available talent then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel like you're missing out on that? Or like, are, are you more inclined to like seek out younger musicians then? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. It, it, it feels, I, I'm really concerned about not being, um, not taking advantage of people. Yeah. Uh, That's just because you're a good person. Though. I like, hate that. <laughs> but I also hate it with me. Like, um, it, here's a big difference coming from L.A. to here. Rehearsals are paid in L.A. Yep. Uh, every now and then I've had a paid rehearsal here. Mm -hmm. But usually I have a gig and they're like, let's get together for two hours or beforehand. Because, like, you have to sometimes. A lot of time you do. And it's better that you do. And so it makes the gig better. So I, I, I will happily do it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, this is a lot of time I'm putting in free. You got to drive there. You got to prep the songs ahead of time. You got to, yep. um, yeah, man, it's, it, it's an opportunity cost of not taking a gig that night. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's this, it's this whole thing. And so, so I don't like being in that position with other musicians if I can avoid it. Yeah. And so like doing that to young musicians, cause it's like, oh, they're still like bright eyed. <laughs> that feels a little shitty. To me. Yeah. man. <laughs> but you can also set the expectation, like say, yep. hey, uh, I'm usually like this is my rate for a rehearsal. Are you okay yeah. with that? Yeah, yep. Or, yep. or something along those lines. Again, if like if you need it, um, but like some sometimes it's, it's just sometimes the you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. It's just the principle of like I'm I'm a working professional. Like I don't ask you to, you know, my accountant to sit down and crunch numbers for free. You yep. know, so like why would I expect that of anybody else? Yeah. Um, same thing goes for videographers and photographers and yeah, and exactly. Graphic designers. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, you know, people should be paid for their work. Um, that was one of the things. So my dad's run a, a series of software companies. Mm -hmm. um, he one of his big things was like, we will not ever ask interns to work for free. Great. Um, he's he's like free, you know, internship work. That's that's bullshit. Like yeah. people should be paid for their time. Yeah. If that's minimum wage, great. But give them something. You know. Yes. Yep. Um, so my my first job ever was with my dad's company. Cool. Um, just answering the phones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mumble, so it wasn't a great job for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was uh, a great philosophy to, like, never ask anybody to give give you something. Like, yeah. if they want to do it, great. That's that's amazing for them, you mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah, it's setting the expectation where you need it. Yeah, but I, I like that a lot about never asking somebody to give you something. And I think there it doesn't always have to be money. There are other ways of there are other types of agreements where value can be exchanged in various ways. For sure. Like, um, I mean, like this, the silly thing is free drinks or whatever, but uh, gigs, like a, a, building a relationship with another musician mm -hmm. to work together in the future is potentially valuable. More valuable. You're right. And so then there's, there's this other problem. And I, there's this drummer I know, and he, he told me once that he said, if, if you pay him anything, he brings his A game. Mm -hmm. But if it's a free gig, he might show up late. He might whatever. And I was like, dude, that's such a mistake. That's a bad attitude. That's a... I think you always have to bring your A game. And if you're not gonna, say no. Like, I if you don't if you don't feel like you can bring your A game, probably you shouldn't take the gig. I, I very much agree. Yeah. Um, did you ever hear the phrase, fuck yes or no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's either yeah. like, I'm yep, all yep, in yep. or you're just not doing it. <laughs> Um, but that's one of those situations, man, especially as a drummer, like he's, he's always going to be sought after. That's the thing. Yeah. It's drummers are in such short supply, especially good drummers yep. that will show up on time, sober, ready to play, can play with a click yep. track sometime. 
uh, it's a tough thing to find. Yeah. Um, because the guys that are good at it are always booked. Yes. They're, or they're playing another serious act or they're on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> when you play a weird instrument, you're, you're more yes. guess, sought after. You know, I'm sure you're getting a lot of banjo work. And, um, I get more guitar, guitar I work, actually. I Do f- you? I feel like the, the guitar, it's, it's such a standard thing, and it's basically always appropriate. Yeah. And I feel like banjo actually is not a versatile instrument. Because you're you're like pigeonholed into like bluegrass. Is that it's bluegrass, it's country, but like even the way you play it is very limiting. Because hmm. um, it's tuned open. It, it's tuned open. So either you play it with, with the finger picks or you play claw hammer, which I usually do. But the the rhythm is very set. So doing things like uh, odd meters or uh, complex music is requires some planning. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Uh, I don't know shit about banjo, you know. Like, it, <laughs> but it's it's way easier just to pick up a guitar and just like strummy, strum, strum, and it's like, oh yeah, that's how it goes for sure. Yeah. And guitar is very formulaic, also. Like, it's probably similar with cello. I would imagine that fitting cello into certain vibes can be a little tough because it's not a bass. So funny you say that. I I played a gig uh, two weeks ago with a band called Beatnik Bandits. Their bass uh-huh. player uh, was booked for another gig. Uh-huh. And basically, they they saw me play at Friends and Allies. Yeah. I'm like, hey, do you want to come sit in tonight? Nice. Um, so I I played mostly like the bass lines for that, but mm-hmm. it's not a true right, resonating right. bass. Yep. Um, just because the octave doesn't go yep. down, mm-hmm. right? It cuts short at C, so it's yeah, like just right. below the mm-hmm. the filler. Um, but the it's you know every instrument like has its place. Like that's why yeah. in an orchestra you've got every kind of texture represented, right? Yeah. And you've got a bass section, and then you've also got a cello section, yes. right? Because yep. there, there are two swim lanes, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it, it's a versatile enough instrument that it can fill in, but it yeah. will never be a bass. Right. Um, I was at a uh, showcase last night where there was a, a stand-up bass player, mm-hmm. big double bass, and he was playing up in thumb position like a cello. Oh, and nice. it was astounding, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, his intonation was perfect. Oh, uh, that's so powerful so, when you can nail that on a double bass. Oh, my crushed God, I love it. it. I play that tune every day. Like, <laughs> I'll be the first one to tell you, I can't play in tune for shit. <laughs> um, that was great. But the uh, the bass player, man, it was it was really cool to like see the the cello application of a bass because usually mm-hmm. it's the other way around. It's cello trying to play a bass part. Well, but what's funny is it's the opposite with the history of the orchestra. How so? Uh, well, there weren't basses. Well, basses originally would just double the cello parts. So the cello was the important part, and the bass was just there to add a little bit of oomph be- below. Huh. So like old like Haydn symphonies and stuff, the bass just doubles the cello part, but it's a cello part. Interesting. Th- that's so- what, what, what we were always taught this in, in orchestration, so that the orchestra is the strings, first and foremost. So yeah. all this flute nonsense, like that's just extra stuff. The core is the string it's section. The str- and it's the four. Yep. Violin, violin, viola, cello. Mm-hmm. Then they add the bass just for that oomph. But like Mozart used to write about this, about like evolved people. And cellists and violinists are the most highly evolved forms of people. <laughs> and like bass I'm players are like that. basically cavemen kind of a thing. Like There's knuckle dragon <laughs> bass players. <laughs> no, seriously. He seriously wrote about this. But yeah, really. <laughs> but yeah, so like that the the core of the the orchestra is the violin, violin, viola, cello. Yeah. And the orchestra is about the violin, but cello is the king of the orchestra. 
I never heard that, but I like that. <laughs> well, what do you think? What, is, what, what do you think the cello, like where, where does it fit in music? So think about a string quartet uh-huh. as a, a watered down version of that right. bay orchestra, right? You've got two violins, you've got a viola, you've got a cello. Yep. The cello is always the bass end. That's, yep. that's the bass part. We fucking Pachelbel's canon. Yeah. Yep, God, yep, man. yep. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's the same eight notes yep. in succession for what four and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the kind of the my first foray into into orchestra was like, hey, I'm always going to be the accompanist, right? I've always got to listen to the violinist. I've always got to like make eye contact, pull in when when yep. they're uh, coming down the downbeat, um, and look to other people for the cues. Like yep. I've always, sure, you can still lead your section or whoever mm-hmm. if you're if you're yeah. you know sitting up farther. Um, but at a point, like, that's why there are cello features and sonatas and things like right. that. Because somewhere on the line, people are like, wow, this is a beautiful uh, timbre of an instrument. Yeah. We should feature it and, mm-hmm. and give it some some life outside of its uh, accompanist bass kind of right. yep. you know, zone there. And uh, just to be able to uh, give it a voice like that, it's got an amazing setting as, like... Um, and I'm thinking of uh, two cellos uh-huh. or somebody like that. Like you've got pieces that are specifically written for cello and piano, uh-huh. um, and and it's it's got its own uh, way of spotlighting, if you will. Yeah. Um, versus like if it's in a full ensemble, it's it's a backup part. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the the context and the instrumentation matters. Immensely. Sure, sure. And what about how you play it? Uh, more often, would you say that your cello playing is more accompanimental, or is it is it the star? No, I'm. My mentality as a musician is is always as a unit because okay. you're you're painting it together. Like if uh-huh. you're if you're cooking a meal with other chefs, yep. right, and the meal comes out shitty, it's everybody's fault. No matter yep. who does more of the heavy lifting, or whatever. Yep. Um, but the way I, I approach cello is like again fitting in with whatever the ensemble is and mm-hmm. like playing as as a cohesive unit you have to watch other people for cues you have yeah. to be able to um play a tasteful note that's not uh getting in the way of the vocal that's not drowning out a guitar solo that's mm-hmm. not like mucking up a bass yeah um so it, it depends a lot on who else i'm playing with but that's why i love the freedom of playing with a singer songwriter yeah i feel like i'm at my best when i'm either in a duo with uh-huh. another singer yep or a trio of some sort. Cool. Because it's it's like you're, you're it's a non-traditional power trio. A power trio, you think like drums, bass, yep. guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Like your your Cream or your Jimi yep. Hendrix or yep. whatever, um, your Green Day. And yeah. they uh, it's such a great thing because the guitar is the lead, the bass is the foundation, the run, drums, yep. you know, you got the, the percussive element there. And with cello and a, an acoustic singer-songwriter, I can play the bass lines during the verse. I can mm-hmm. I can pluck. I can kind of fill things out. I can take a nasty guitar solo type yeah. thing at, right in the middle of the song, um, but at the same time, it's never drowned out by the guitar. Yeah. So there's always there's so much freedom to complement it and make it good for the song. Right. And uh, I think that's what differentiates my playing from, like, if I went to music school like full time, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have the same approach. My chops would be a billion times better. Uh-huh. Um, I was at a gig the other night. It was last Saturday. This guy walks in and he's like, yo, man, I'm a cellist too. I was like, oh, sweet. He goes, do you mind if I hop on for one? I was like, yeah, go go for <laughs> it. And he jumped on and, and he went to musical. He went to like Loyola or somewhere uh-huh. for like a conservatory. Yeah, yeah. And he was man, very good. All those Loyola good. guys are so good. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the, 
man, they're, they're, they're something in the water there. Yeah. But uh, he was a better cellist than I am. Mm, mm-hmm. And I said to him, yo, man, this is dope. What if I hopped on guitar? Will you accompany me nice. for a couple? That's great. And he said he couldn't do it. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, well, so a better cellist than you. Maybe, maybe not. It depends on what you mean. Uh, the, the, the situation matters. I was disappointed partially because like... Uh, I just really want to see him play. I, I, part of me like, I want to see him in that setting. Yeah. Part of me was like, I want to see how I stack up yeah. against somebody who's formally trained. And then whenever he went back to his to his table, uh, part of me was like, wow, can I do something unique that trained musicians can't do? Yeah. Yes. So that that was like kind of validating. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, you just don't want it to, to go to your head, but I understand that like, it's it's different. I don't think there's anybody out there that plays like I do. Right. So, but that's great. But you have guys like Mark Block or like, mm-hmm. uh, man, who's the, the guy that jumps in the trees with his cello? What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he jumps uh, in the trees with a cello. His Instagram is uh, Rashadicus. It, Rashad Eggleston. Okay. Does um, he destroy he's a, his cello? He's a, yeah, he just okay. beats the shit out of it. Uh, he's, he's a hell of a cellist. He's truly amazing. Like yeah. once in a generation. Um, but there's guys like that who just like have such a unique style, but like, yeah. I don't know if they play quite the same way I would. I see, right? I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's great to do, to do something that's your own. I feel like that that's the problem. Maybe that's artistry. With cons- con- yeah, it is artistry. I think so. Um, conservatory training, I feel like can, not always, but can be very siloing. Did you feel like it helped or hindered you, like having a formal training? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think about this all the time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think I shouldn't have gone to school. I think I should have moved to Austin when I was 19 and started like playing every single night for 10 years interesting and i think that would have been equally good if not better than music school because i know i know guitar players in town who are better guitar players than me like young like 20 year olds Mm -hmm. and they don't know the names of chords they don't know anything they they play all the time and they've like developed ideas they've come up with their own ideas so like as a teacher i've been obsessed with this idea lately of teaching uh what not how Hmm. which is like i feel like the traditional or the wisdom now is always teach how teach people how to think not what to think Mm -hmm. and uh nathan or brother nate the 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 the, the bass player in in my group zap and claw elixir that's his double bass right there uh i met him at the mic the one night yes yes he came out yep yep exactly he um he he said that you should teach what not how and allow students to develop their own how cool so say this is what we're playing, boo doo 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 doo, and and just tell them that's what they're playing, and let them figure out how to play it, and let them come up with their own understanding of what it is, and you know maybe guide a little bit, but but let them develop their own connections, because then they'll start to develop their own voice that's more interesting, rather huh. than think about it like a major scale, think about it like a one four five progression, and like some really really interesting jazz guitar players, uh, Jimi Hendrix included had a process like that where they developed their own understanding. So they didn't know as much of the traditional theory, but they kind of came to it on their own and they had the same traditional theory, but in a very interesting kind of flipped on its head way. I think you're right about that. So Hendrix was self-taught, wasn't he? Yeah. And man, that reminds me, I want to say Kurt Cobain kind of the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yep. Yep. Wow. Um, but maybe that's super... like you, maybe like you had enough of the, the traditional to give you a language and a starting place and yes. then you jump jump into the deep end and go off on your own. Anthony, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think <laughs> like to have that foundation, man, I'm so 
thankful to like say right understand that most of the theory behind it but like without getting into the weeds of fucking mixolydian mm-hmm. lydian scales like i don't give a shit i i took some guitar <laughs> theory and i was just like yeah. this is so dry like yes i couldn't get through it yep yep um so I'd, I'd rather like create a feeling man it's like it's more about like how you you pick a string it's uh-huh. more about how oh, yeah. you it's your level of vibrato or like mm-hmm. um i mean that that's that's huge i remember because i had this problem in jazz theory is they'd say there's this chord and this is the scale you play over it yeah. but that's not really 100 percent true because if you just play that scale over a chord, it sounds stupid. You have to have an idea of what you're doing. So yes, those notes are useful notes. And if you're using your ear, you're going to come to those notes anyway, probably. And that's just it. And There's if a- you don't, if you come to other notes, that might be interesting too. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing about jazz, like jazz theory. Once you reach the top level, you can play any note at any time, given the right context. Yep. Yep. There's no wrong notes. Right. You just have to know how to shape it. That's very freeing. Uh, it's a very like Herbie Hancock approach. Where yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He says yep. like, you, it doesn't matter what you if you make a mistake, you play the same note again. Yeah. If you do it twice, people don't think it's. It. Although, <laughs> although I did, I did get, uh, I did get uh, the the hook at the Elephant Room Jazz Jam one night. Really? <laughs> yeah. What happened? What, what I, uh, instrument were you playing? I was playing guitar. Okay. Uh, but uh, I went up and they, I I couldn't figure out the key and I didn't I didn't know the tune. What was it? Uh, it was Blue Skies. So, like, I knew the tune, but I didn't know it that well. Okay. And and uh, and so, like, I couldn't quite find it. And then they called me to solo. And I was like, uh-oh. And I was just, like, trying. I was trying to just, like, listen to the note and use my ear to, like, find a little path. That's so hard. Man. And then and then the the uh, the Michael Mordecai, the guy who hosts the jam, like, it stops me. He's like, if you don't know it, don't play it. And, like, called the keyboard to finish the solo. That's like, I was, like, mortified. <laughs> But, like, who does that in front of, like, especially in front of an audience, but, like, to make somebody, like, feel like they fucked up. I mean, it's okay, because the the next thing he did was he told me to call the next tune, which I feel like was a very, it was like a reaching out a little bit. It was like a tough. Tough love, but, like, hey, try again. Call the next tune. Cool. You call it. So, like, it puts it on me, but it allows me to redeem myself. So, like. Gotcha. Okay. Did you learn from it? Uh. (laughs) <laughs> it was a bad poker move. Don't say I can play tunes that I don't fully know at a jazz jam. <laughs> That's fair. Dude, my jazz, ear, my ear isn't gonna do it for me. <laughs> but jazz is so hard, man. Like it, I yeah. feel like you have an out just be, by virtue of it being jazz. Like, oh, man, jazz is jazz is hard. I like. I want to call myself uh, like I want to say I have the ability to play jazz, and every time I think to say that, I think don't say that. <laughs> Tell me about your jazz training, whether that's music school or otherwise. Yeah, I, I, I took a few jazz improv uh, like classes in undergrad, and then I took one semester of jazz improv lessons in graduate school. Was that fun? It was great. Uh, it showed me how little I know about jazz. Huh. Because like, if I, I would need to spend at least a year really like nose to the grindstone working on it to feel comfortable saying, like, I play jazz. It's a, it's a, it's an art in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about you, jazz, jazz cello? Not at all. At all? I mean, where would you I've, put your 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 cello? Like more categorization. Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, definitely more on the rock side, but like, mm-hmm. is it is it weird to like call it like a lead cellist? No, that's great. Yeah. So like, think about like, if you're, it's in place of a guitar or in right. place of a bass. Yeah. Something like that. Um, 
But like, it's one of those things like I can't describe until like when somebody hears me play, they're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. They're like, wow, this is, this is, uh, you know, you're accompanying me the way a guitarist would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, jazz, jazz has always escaped me. That's, that's always been like my musical bucket list. It's like mm-hmm. not necessarily take lessons, but like show up at the elephant room or yes. like, um, I met a guy the other day in, in a studio session who it has a residency at the Parker Jazz Club. Oh, cool. Um, he's a, he's a really good drummer out there. And uh, I want to go sit in with them sometime mm-hmm. and just like kind of get an idea for like what is a jazz standard. And uh-huh. um, it, it, <laughs> my cousin, who uh, is a tremendous musician in his own right, he's a bass player, mm-hmm. um, but he went to school for, for music also. And uh, basically, there was he went through a period of time where he would only play jazz because he's like, that's the only artistic. Yep. Yep. There's yep. like such like a douchebaggery to it. Um, there is. It's great. But like, again, like he, he just crushes it as a as a jazz player uh-huh. and uh um th- there's an, a culture within the jazz world of like this is this is true art yeah this isn't your bubblegum nashville bullshit <laughs> like yeah I, yeah yeah no that culture definitely exists that attitude exists for sure yeah. i would yeah. call it elitist but like it's, it it's the same thing in the classical world you right? can call it elitist it is elitist sometime yeah it's a little bit too though for I, th- sure. I think there, there's sure. elitism everywhere you're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It's uh, it's not so much a. It's more about the player. And if you know you're a really good player, yeah. you're, you're probably gonna maybe be a little bit. Well, because so so like that that twenty year old guitar player I was talking about, who's who's way better than me. He thinks I was talking to him. He thinks like a jazz musician. Hmm. It's crazy. He thinks when he's soloing, he thinks through chords and chord shapes. And he's like, oh, I can play the chord here, here, and here. So I can do this, this, and connect it up to here, and like that. Is that caged? Yep, exactly. Cage. And I actually I've never I've never gotten into the cage system at all. Yeah. It's uh it's funny like I've played guitar for years and years and years and it's like I ha- I like I understand it. It makes sense to me given where I am. I've just never I've never gotten into it, but that's his primary system and he's like a killer guitar player. He's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, the Hunter Walkup by the way. 20-year-old guitar player. Go see him. All right. He plays every Tuesday at the Friends Bar anyway. Oh, great. I'm never never going to get to see him then. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no problem. So, so the 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 la- the topic, the last topic. I've I've been bringing this up with a lot of a lot of musicians is the voice and music. The voice, like the TV show. No, no, no. like <laughs> yeah, like law, like, like your voice. Okay. Uh, I think music is about the voice. I'm I'm beginning to think this more and more. And so I didn't sing for years. And. Uh, like it shows in my singing. I'm, I'm not a particularly trained singer um, and I'm working on it. I'm better than I was a year ago, but um, forever I was one of those, you know, I don't sing people. And I think it's a mistake because I think music is about singing first and foremost. And I've had different responses from different musicians from yes to an immediate. Absolutely. I don't think that's what it's about. But like what you're talking about lead cello mm-hmm. and cello's role uh a the, the the classical string instruments I think are built essentially to imitate a human voice because yeah. it has that rasp, it has that sing, and you had the vibrato or something like that. And then what you're doing when you're playing music in a, in a very connected way is you're either singing or dancing or doing both. So if you're playing leads, you're singing, even if you're not doing it with your voice. You're doing it with your bow and a string, or you're mm-hmm. doing it with a pick and a string, mm-hmm. or you could even be doing it with drums. Sure. Or you're dancing. 
you're playing mm. funk. So maybe you're not singing. Maybe you're it's just going to groove. Gun, 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 right? Yeah. So you're dancing, and so somebody else can sing. So music and dance are like the same. Interesting. To me. And like, music is about singing to me. So I don't know. What do you what do you think about it? About Complete bullshit. Elitist nonsense. No, man. It's, it's not because it, it it's it comes down to the essence of what music is. Like I think why people are, are drawn to it. Like, okay, let's go. Oh, fuck. Let's go all the way back. Yeah. First written recorded music. Yeah. Or not not even recorded. For the first like semblance of like music in in history, um, was in a what like a religious church right. kind of setting like it was it was more of a way to like unify people right and um celebrate and exalt god yeah. if you will mm-hmm. right so that's where you have like your you really like uh droning yep. kind yep. of music like Gregorian right? chants and stuff yes yeah. exactly yeah. um and then that evolved from uh you know basically like having some kind of simple drums like w- music was a community thing it yeah. wasn't just one mm-hmm. person performing right it was it was it wasn't an evolved experience. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The the community was was based around a uh, you know a religious figure, a musician who basically was could could lead a community right. rather than mm-hmm. be waved at and like praised from from yeah. afar, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then going into like I guess the evolution of like uh skipping way ahead, Nashville, like it's all about country's about the song. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you have people who are exclusively songwriters and the whole thing is written around the story. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got like uh flip side of the coin, something like a house beat or, or yeah. techno or mm-hmm. something where it's only dancing. Right. Right. It's not, there's no, maybe little vocal samples. Um, mm-hmm. but the majority of it is like, again, based around the communication factor and you can't yeah. get communicating. You can communicate certain emotions, mm-hmm. but you can't communicate tangible tangible words right right um and the actual like telling of a story and a sequence of events and people and places and things that can only be articulated from the voice right mm-hmm. so therefore in especially western again mm-hmm. western music that's the most important part right hands down like and the rest of the musical group should be in support of that right and ideally have the rest of the community involved also. Right. But everybody else sing the na na nas and hey Jude yeah. and like uh make it a, a very uh church like experience. You Absolutely. Know? I mean the church is that that's a huge part of it. Yeah, the, and the, the communal. I grew up Jewish, so like I, I I've had limited interactions with most of my experiences in church have been playing cello and, yeah. and mass, you know. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. I'm very new to the church world, but that doesn't make it any less of a welcoming experience. Everyone's been so yeah. like, mm-hmm. thank you for coming, mm-hmm. like um, and the best services I've been to were engaged with the rest of the community. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And that's why people keep coming back because they yeah. want to be part of it. Yeah. And the, the, the community part is, I mean, that's huge. That's, that's what makes it powerful. For sure. It, it's this thing is like music is, uh, th- there's that Jimi Hendrix quote, music is magic. There's another thing I think about a lot. Music isn't real. Uh, it it is that shared space between a listener and a performer, or between a performer and a between people. So music is by definition a connection between people. It's sort of like an agreement. So you're making sounds on a cello, but that's not music. That's just sounds. The same way that uh, a tree rustling is sounds, mm-hmm. and then we we start shaping it in our head. We give notice it pattern. We give it meaning, and then we and then we look at the other person who's like, I played a five to one. 
oh, we agree on that meaning. And yep. That's amazing. Like, two Speaking people agree language. on the meaning of a sound. That's wild. Yeah, man. <laughs> Especially when there's no words involved. Like, right. And the, the other part of it, this is like my, like the, the fact that it's anarchic, like nobody decided there was no authority on high that said, and like this shall be five to one. That developed yep. through, through culture. In the same way that our words, nobody decided that our words mean what they mean. They just, it developed that way. Dude, I love that. That's that's like the the core of like semiotics, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 We we give like the word no uh-huh. in itself. It's it's just vibrations. Yep. yep. And and we give it a meaning mm-hmm. of like. Eh. Yep. But also, ant could be the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could be anything. It's, it's, right it's, it's, it's arbitrary, and it's yeah. it, but it, but it, it's arbitrary, but it's decided. It's like communally decided. And you know that. And the the cool thing is like studying like how that cross culturally does yep. that translate. Like going yes. to yeah, going yeah. to um, you know, somewhere in Southeast Asia and, mm-hmm. and does does ant like likewise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> translate to them in some yeah. meaningful way? Well, um, do you follow the Silk Road Ensemble or anything like that? No. Okay. What's that? Uh, Yo-Yo Ma started an ensemble and it's with musicians from around the world. So there's like Japanese shakuhachi players and uh, like frame drum players from the Middle East and shamisen players. So the music from all over the world, uh, accordion players, bagpipe players, and they tour and they make this, I, I think he calls it cross-cultural music. Hmm. But it's, 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 a, it's sort of testing a similar idea. It's not with words, it's not with a sound, eh, but it's musical ideas. And can, can these musical ideas be comprehensible? Dude, I love that. Leave to you to like just push the boundaries on shit. Yeah. Um, do you ever hear his, uh, I guess it's not his, it's, it's a collaboration, it's the Goat Rodeo Sessions. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that's just uh, the the idea of like getting Chris Teeley and, yep, and yep, yep, yep. the best all-star <laughs> cast and a quartet together. Um, it's incredible. They're, they're tiny desk if you haven't seen it. Um, check it but out. It's amazing. I mean, I have a theory, because I have a theory that uh, Yo-Yo Ma only knows how to play two pieces. The first, <laughs> uh, the prelude the for the Bach Cello Suite and the Swan. Because, like, that's all I ever hear him play. But I know he does other things. It's but he just does a it, goofy theory. But he does it the best ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Tanley yeah. Yo-Yo is, like, mostly a cover artist also. So, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> orchestras are just big cover bands. They We're are. Talking about, yep, yep, yep. talking about Archie. Not yep. everybody's fucking composing, you know? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's not a real thing. Yeah. So um, so what's what's coming up for you? What do you got? What do you what's got? coming up? Um, so I got Tuesday nights at Friends and Allies. Yeah. I got Saturday afternoons at Friends Austin, and Allies. If you're in Austin, come out. Yeah, 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 you do your your art your songwriter series, right? Yep. yep. You play a couple hours, and then you, you sometimes or usually have a guest play. Yeah, so we we've kind of shifted format. So okay. th- that's what it's been for the last like seven ish months, where basically I play the first hour, and then yeah. have a, a guest artist come on, and we'd feature them, right? Yeah. Um, you did one in October. Yeah, I did one in what? Yep, yep. Long ass time ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, so basically, we just hang out and drink beer, day drink, and in, in the middle of the middle yeah. of the day in the sunshine. Yeah. Um, but we're kind of shifting the format and, and I'm trying to play more cello and I think they're cool. The venue's looking for like just one artist to be playing on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so we're trying to understand like how that's going to look going forward. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm playing a, a lot of private events, which kind of sucks. Uh-huh. The, yeah, you don't promote them. I like want to, I want to tell people like, Hey, come on. I played a boat last week for, for an indeed company party. Oh, um, that's fun. just random like house parties and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I got a few of those. Um, yeah, man, it's, those are those are some of my favorite gigs. Yeah, um, but my goal for the next year is to get away from the cover circuit mm-hmm. and to do exclusively original music, forty-five minute type sets. Yep, 
playing Red River. I want to play like uh-huh. Stay Gold. I want to play Stubs and Doors in yep. the next year. Yep. Um, so that's that's what I'm working on mm-hmm. is actually shifting from technician to artist. Great, I love it. I feel like, yeah, that's it's cool. it's about. Time. We should do an episode in a year. Let's see where it. See let's where do it. it. Went. Yeah, let's yeah. Do it. Cool, cool man. Well, do you, do you want to play a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I got a C major. Nice and simple. And uh, you just feel free to go off on it. It's like a basic chord progression, but uh, it's like the whole scale's open. So.
<laughs> that was great. That was cool, man. Yeah. yeah. You want to do one more? Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Uh, is there anything you want to play? Um, undo cover. A song called Street People by Bobby Charles.
Lovely. Nice. <laughs> that was great. Hell yeah, man. Cool, you were singing. Yeah, right? That's what we're singing, though. <laughs> singing about street people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the, your call and response. You were singing with your cello. It was great. Thanks, man. Yeah, dude. That was fun. That was a lot yeah. of fun. Well, thanks um, so much for coming on the show. Thanks again for having yeah, me. Yeah, where where do you want to direct people to find your stuff? I'll, I'll link everything, but... You want to just give people my, my cell number and just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Instagram, I guess, is probably what the kids yeah. do these days. Um, yeah. I'm not on Snapchat anymore, so no more... Probably good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me uh, at, at it's Dan Raiden, I-T-S-D-A-N-R-A-D-I-N. Hell yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. See y'all. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was fun, man. Easy. Hell yeah. You sounded great on those jams. Also. That got you, man. That was, that was fun. Thanks for listening or watching, depending on if you are watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast stream somewhere. Remember to go check out Dan Raiden. He plays all around Austin. Uh, look him up. You can definitely find some cool shows to go out and see him at. And uh, remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to my channels. I will see you all next time. Bye.